So, um, it's Christmas Eve. It's Christmas Eve. One more day till Christmas. Is that exciting or what? Oh my goodness, are you ready? Are you actually ready? Like, have you got all your presents together and all that kind of thing? Oh, hey, how awesome was the, the Christmas play thing last week? Wasn't that awesome? Our kids are fabulous, and, I, I, you know, we should just really say, well done, Cheryl. Well done, team out there. That, it was fantastic. It really was. Uh, Orlando and uh, Juliet, my goodness, what a couple of amazing people they are. We should give them a little round of applause as well. Fantastic. Fantastic. Wow. That, that scene where um, Orlando's rowing a boat on the grass, thought that was like he looked like he was rowing on water. He's that good an actor. That was amazing. That was actually amazing. Although I would say, um, look, and I might be biased. I might be, I don't know. But um, I thought my, my daughter's one line kind of held the whole thing together. <laughs> when, she, when, she, like when she got up here and said, I just go to Kmart and they tell me what to buy. I thought, my goodness, that is, that's so profound. The way that she said it was like really nuanced. My goodness, I'm like my layers upon layers. And, you know, I went home and for about 45 minutes after that, I just I sat and I pondered, Kmart, they tell me, wow, my, wow. And um, I started writing things in my journal and all kinds of stuff. It was, honestly, it was fantastic. But anyway, sorry, are, are, you, are you all sort of for Christmas? Um, who has yet to put up their Christmas tree? No one? Oh, I see a hand up the back there. Well, you better hurry up. Yes, yes. Um, uh, who's a real Christmas tree? Who's a fake Christmas tree? You know, my whole life I felt like a weirdo because I'd use a fake Christmas tree every Christmas. I just felt like I'd come home. That's amazing. Hands up, real Christmas tree? There's like three of you. And um, fake Christmas trees? Whoa, yeah, hey, hey, it's cool, eh? You know what I love about the fake Christmas tree is it's actually triangle. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, but whenever I, um, I've seen people go out to get their Christmas tree, and I grew up with a real Christmas tree, they, they, you get it and you look at it and it looks perfect, but by the time you take it home, for some reason, it's got this massive crook in it, and they can't turn it around, and half the leaves have fallen off, and it looks kind of bare, and, and I'd, I'd say gross. Um, so good on you. Get a bit of more. <laughs> it, seems, it seems reckless because it's not um, very eco-friendly, getting a giant plastic tree and putting it up in your house. But, hey, solidarity. We're, we're in it together. I just wanted to... Um, I thought, to be honest, I thought... Uh, it's Christmas Eve. We don't want to get too, too intense about it all. Um, I, just, I just thought it would be nice just to kind of um, have to do a little bit of reflections and, um, and hopefully have a little bit of just, just a little bit of nice ease into Christmas, you know, just like our jobs. We, we didn't want to have to... We kind of tried to get it all out of the way so we could just ease into, ease into the holidays. And so why should church be any different? So this is my message today, 185 Christmas Reflections. I've got about 19 minutes. I've got to try and cram it all in. We'll start at number one, and we'll just see how far we get. Like, I don't know. We could... It might... My guess is three, but I don't know. Okay, so um, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for Christmas Eve. We thank you for, um, for who you are, for what you've done. You're a good God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. 
Christmas reflection time. I'm going to give you some reflections to take away, and because I, I think it's a good thing to just have a think about what Christmas means to you. And honestly, there's probably no better time than Christmas Eve. So let's get into it. First reflection today. Just because I don't know what's going on doesn't mean God doesn't care. Probably not the best English, to be honest. There's a lot of negatives. I was going to try and be real clever and do something like, just because I don't know what's going on doesn't mean not God don't, not, doesn't not care. And then we could all just kind of stare at that for a bit, but we won't do that today. We'll save that for another time, maybe a church news intro or something like that. These are from a dad's perspective. So these are little things that I've hope, kind of tried to package up into my dad life. You know, we would, go, we would go to the swimming pool and we would swim at the swimming pool, which makes sense, right? And we had an 18-month-year-old child. I'm going to try my best not to put the <laughs> what type of child it is because they might give it away. Anyway, one, 18 months old, this child, and we would um, get the child dressed and we'd take the child out to the pool. And you know, Have you ever been to Baywave? You've been to Baywave? They have this lovely gradient sloping walk into the water. Just walk into the water. And this child decided to go and to start walking into the water, up past the knees, past the waist, up past the neck, until, until he was like this. Just, and all he needed was a straw, and he would have carried on deep, deeper into the water. Um, and so we rushed in, and we grab him out, and we say, Hey, hey, 18-month-year-old kid, um, if you do that, um, you're going to drown. And that's, like, that's a really bad thing. It's not good. Um, and then the 18-month-year-old runs off around to the side to the deepest point of the swimming pool. And jumps in. No floaties, no nothing. Just swam bomb into the deepest part of the pool. At, w- at which point the parents have to dive in, fetch the kid out, put him up on the ledge, and then he runs. Oh, I said it. He runs over to the other side and jumps in again. Pick him up, runs around, jumps in again. You know, when I took Elisha. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. Okay, I'm just going to use names now and we just... It's their own fault. They shouldn't have done it. When I took Elisha up out of the water and I explained to him... I mean, it got to the point where he wasn't allowed to go in the water anymore. You get the image of us picking him up and the little legs are like... Because he just wants to get back to the water. Have you ever tried to explain anything to an 18-month-old? It's really hard to get them to understand anything. All of my kids have been through kindy, and I have walked into kindy and looked around at the two-year-olds, and none of them are really listening to each other. They have snot running down. They, they, they're just kind of like, they're quite a lot like drunk people. They really are. They, they think that they're playing together, but they're really not. They're all playing as individuals and no one's listening to each other and no one can sit down and relax. Everyone has, someone has to get up and just kind of wander around for a while and all that kind of thing. Um, you, try, you, can't, you can't explain it to them. 
They only feel, like, you know, like danger, Will Robinson. Stay away. Stay back from this. And they think you're being a horrible dad. How could you not let me run and jump into the water, you big meanie? Um, just because he doesn't know what's going on doesn't mean that I don't care about him. There's this misunderstanding going on. You know, the Christmas story reminds us more than anything else that God is outworking a marvelous plan. As a parent to a child, so God to us. You know, the great thing about the Christmas story is that we see the plan in motion, even though we don't see the end. But we see the plan in motion. We see 300-odd prophecies of a Messiah turning up. Now, the thing is, if that was all in one day, that would be pretty incredible. But it's spread over 4,000 years of time. So we begin to go, well, what are you doing, God? What's it all about? Why aren't you here? Don't you care about us? Don't you see what's going on in the world? Can't you see all the pain and the suffering? We need a Messiah. Then suddenly, after 4,000 years, the Bible says, at just the right time, God sent his son. God has a plan in action. And just because we don't understand the plan doesn't mean he doesn't care about us. The nativity says to me, he does care. He cares about the whole world. So much so that he would send his son to die for us, starting on that day 2,000 years ago. Take this. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive the wonderful things God has prepared for those who love him. You may not be able to feel God in the rush of life. You may not be able to see him in the madness of, world, of the world and current events. But don't say he doesn't care. Don't say he doesn't have a plan. He does. Revelations 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Be confident of this. Take the message of the Christmas story to see that he has a plan. The plan's in motion. He cares about you. Next. Humility is the foundation upon which a relationship is built. Humility is the foundation of relationships. My two boys, so let's start with this. One day, Teresa's at home, and she walks around the corner, and she hears my two boys having an argument. I want it. It's my turn. I want it. It's my turn. I had it first. My wife walks up to the two boys and looks at them, and there's nothing there. They're arguing. She's like, there's nothing there. What are they arguing about? So she asks them, what are you arguing about? And Micah says, I have an invisible steering wheel. <laughs> Elisha wants my invisible steering wheel. Well, can't you share the invisible steering wheel? No, 
He'll take my steering, my invisible steering wheel, and he won't give it back. Brilliant. This, this is brilliance coming up here. Okay, this is brilliance. So Therese, in her brilliance, goes, well, here's another invisible steering wheel. I'll give that to you, Elisha. Now you both have invisible steering wheels, and, um, and that, that's it. She goes to walk away, and then one of them says, I want that invisible steering wheel. <laughs> that has been our whole... Our whole uh, parenthood. <laughs> James 4.1 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires within you? Oh, I'm sorry. This, this just died. Get open again. Here we go. Have you ever wondered why God would have his son be born in a stable or, a simple, or to a simple laborer family? Why not have the king of kings be born in a palace or something more befitting his stature? It's pretty simple, really, when you dig into it. See, we've got, to, we've got to do a little bit of theology here. But God God doesn't exist as just one being. God is a trinity. He is one being, but he's actually three beings who are so close in, uh, in agreement, common union, aims and goals, all those kind of things, that's to kind of put some layman terms on it, that they share an indivisible substance. They are three distinct beings, but they're one and the same. It's a massive concept to grab. Now, this is where it gets interesting. You see, they dwell in a sense of relationship, everyone deferring to the other. You can't have... Unity of that closeness, where one, unless all three defer to each other in a sense of common unity and common purpose. What would happen if one of them, for some reason, decided that they are owed something that the other two have? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I should have pointed that out. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the, are the parts of a trinity. What, what happens if one day the Holy Spirit bad choice of terms, I know, wakes up and goes, oh man, I want something and takes. That sense of indebtedness and entitlement begins to break down the relationship, begins to damage the relationship. So relationship has to exist in this perfect union of giving. Giving. Only giving. Never taking. Only giving. And what you find is when everybody is giving, when there is true community or communion with each other, that no one is left in want. It's the moment someone reaches across and says, I want that. Give me that invisible steering wheel where everything begins to fall apart. Because then that person over there says, I want that. Give me that invisible steering wheel. And it begins to break down. Things begin to pull apart. Everybody begins to be their own entity. So in that place, in that place of relationship and, and communion together, the only way that people can, um, that the Godhead can remain in that is by showing humility, deferring to one another. The Father deferring to the Son, the Son deferring to the Father, both of them deferring to the Holy Spirit, all working together in a common unity. 
Humility is at the core of their relationship. Now, you will say, but no, Gene, love is the foundation of relationship. And I would say that's very right. You're actually spot on. Love is the foundation. But I feel that in this day and age, more than ever before, love is a confusing word. It doesn't explain very well because we have so many interpretations out there of what love is. Love expressed through humility. Love where it's not overbearing. Think 1 Corinthians, where it's kind. Love born out of humility is true love expressed. So humility is the foundation upon which all relationships are built. So why would God put his son in a stable, um, put him into a manger, have him born to uh, uh, a, a, a simple laborer? Because God is saying that humility is the starting point for every relationship. For every person that comes to him, you need to be able to humble yourself and say, God, I need you. But here's the cool thing, is that God was not above humbling himself for us. Out of his humility, he was able to send his, um, have his son manifest on earth. Out of his humility, he was able to send his son to the cross. Humility was the, the, great, the great equalizer. It brought him down to earth, and now it's our chance or our, our opportunity or our responsibility to be humble in return. No, oh, excuse me, in return. Perhaps the most subtle statement that the nativity makes through Jesus being born in a manger, in a stable, in a backwater town, to a simple carpenter family, is that relationship is not built through power, dominance, and control, but through gentleness, humility, and decision. Yeah? Reflection three. Jesus is the greatest gift of all. Um, one, of my, one, of the, one, of my, one of the things I love the most, um, my daughter, um, if I've ever said, just in case you're not aware, I think she's awesome. I think like she's, she's not better than the other two, but I'm on camera. Oh, no, you're going to see that. Um, the, um, she comes up to you, uh, comes up to you with, with something. She's, she's been in her room, you know, squirreling away, writing things down, doing something I'm not exactly sure behind the door, and then she'll come out and she'll be like, here, Dad, and you open it up, and it says, I love you, Dodd, or something, because she hasn't spelled it. It's like, she, she wrote an O instead of an A. So, what are they teaching them at school these days? Goodness me. You know, gifts from kids, because it's not about the gift. Hey, it's not actually about the gift. Gifts from kids, it's pretty clear. <laughs> like, that's, like, like, come on. <laughs> hey, can we? We're going to save it for the 21st, but, like, it's not that good, really, is it? No, this, like I said, there's spelling mistakes, and you can't tell the difference between a cat and a, and a human. Like, it's... I'm not going to say naff, 
But um, but you 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 keep you you, you encourage them. That potential that was fantastic. That what a picture. That is amazing. You are the best artist I have seen today. You are fantastic. That's keep keep drawing. You got potential. Potential is the worst word ever. I think. Ugh, bleh. You're telling me I'm not there. I've got no. Don't use the word potential. Either tell them they're great or keep practicing. Um, you know, it's fascinating to me, the three wise men, four wise men, the wise men, brought all those gifts to Jesus, paying homage to Jesus, and yet the greatest gift of all was right in front of them. The irony being, Jesus didn't need their gifts. The shame being, there's no proof that the wise men walked away understanding the gravity of what they had been to, understanding that Jesus was there, not just the, the saviour of Israel, but the saviour of the whole world. And that they needed salvation and their moment was there. Even though he was a baby, here was the promised lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Whoopsie-daisy. Whoopsie-daisy. You know, like the gift, the gift. It's not just what the gift is. It's why the gift is. You know, when my daughter comes up to me and goes, here, take this. It's not ever about what that is. Never is. It's always about what, what her heart means. You know, and Christmas Eve in this nativity, the, the, the Christmas story shows us that this little baby, this little baby, this little child in a manger is your salvation. You couldn't see it. You can't see it. That's a baby. We're very clever because we see the end of a story. We're very clever because we look back. We know how it all goes. But there in the manger, there in the manger is a little baby. And that baby, that baby is the greatest gift of all. That baby is going to grow up to put himself on a cross for you and me, that we could be remitted of our sin and be restored to relationship with God. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. What a gift. We couldn't do it on our own. Which brings me to the last one, as the band comes up. The Christmas story is a love story. It's nothing else. It's God reaching out through time and space because it wasn't just that he planned this there for that moment. It was that he planned it for everybody who had gone before and he had planned it for everybody who was to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end. He's outside of time, looking down on everything that is going on, excuse me, knows it intimately. The story of Christmas is a love story. The story of Christmas is God reaching out to you and to me and to you and to you and to you and to all the people at home who are watching this here. It's a love story. It's... For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to give them life to everyone who believed. It's a love story. That's why we sing. That's why we gather here. That's the purpose of all of this. That's one of the main reasons for all of this is that God reached down through time and space and reached into your life and revealed to you the beauty of a baby in a manger from 2,000 years ago. It's phenomenal. It's incredible. How could He care so much and know so much about me and where I would be that He would meet me in this place? It's phenomenal. It's mind-blowing that he didn't, read, he didn't respond with vengeance and justice and anger as he, was, as he could have done. But he responded with humility and love. It's phenomenal. It's amazing. There's no story like it. For as much and as hard as I try to express my love for my kids, it, it fails in comparison to the beauty of this story. If there was one thing I would give my kids more than anything else, honestly, right now, it's not money. There's no money. They took all the money ages ago. It's not that they wouldn't gamble. It's not that they wouldn't drink. It's not that they wouldn't get caught in pornography. It's not that they would have great friends. It's not that they would have a fantastic education. It's not that they would find a job that was fulfilling and worthwhile. All of those things are fantastic. But what would it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? There's only one thing. There's only one thing that is needed. And Mary chose a good thing. You know that, eh? Mary and Martha. Mary sat at whose feet? At Jesus' feet. There's only one thing that is needed. Mary has chosen a good thing. If I could give them anything, if I could give them anything, if I could give them anything, I'd give them Jesus. I'd give them Jesus. It's the most beautiful story of all. If I could give them Jesus, then as a dad, I win. As a dad, you win. As a mum, you win. As a granddad, you win. As a grandmother, you win. As an uncle, you win. As an aunt, you win. If we could give them Jesus, the most beautiful story of all, the greatest gift of all. We win.
Dang it. I knew it was going to be a trap. I really did because talking about my kids. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christmas Eve, for what you've done, for what you're doing. We thank you, Lord, that the story isn't finished. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan. We thank you, Lord, that you care for us. I pray today as we reflect on what you did 2,000 years ago when you sent your son to earth. Father, as we reflect over today and tomorrow and Boxing Day and even the days to come, that you would fill our minds with our own revelation, our own understandings of the beautiful and awesome story it is that you would visit us in a manger in humility and love, that you would rescue us from our sin and open the way to everlasting life and a relationship with the Father. We thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool.